from Hamster Wheel Publishing. This is Freewheeling. The show that answers your questions about veterinary business and leadership. With me, Dr. Dave Nichol. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Freewheeling with me, Dr. Dave Nichol. Now, today's question comes from Chessing VetMed over in Australia. Uh, she's a vet student at the University of Queensland. Uh, so thank you very much for the question. The question is this, or along the lines of this. So how, as a veterinary student or as a new graduate, do I go about discussing money and financial options um, with clients? Uh, so, as they, so as they'll follow your advice, so they will actually uh, do what you want them to do for their pets. And this is a really good question, and it's one of the biggies for you guys as young vets. And I think actually it's not just for young vets, because if you don't get it fixed, if you don't get the answer to this question fairly early in your career, then it really can dog you in a lot of different ways. I said dog you, no pun intended. Um, veterinary podcasts go wrong. Um, so it can affect you further down the track because uh, a lot of our reluctance to discuss cost comes from our feeling of not wanting to be rejected, not wanting to hear the word no. Uh, in other words, not getting into a conflict situation. A lot of the things in our life come back to us avoiding conflict. So we don't ask uh, for parents because we don't want to get in conflict with our boss. We put up with um, behaviors from people around us that really aren't good behaviors because we don't want to get in a conflict. Uh, we don't recommend the things that pets really need because we fear that pet owners won't like us because there's a price tag associated with that particular option. So we don't mention it because we don't want to get in conflict. It all comes back to conflict. And so what happens is before you even get to the point of the discussion, you have got this story going on in your head that says, uh, I, I feel uncomfortable. Uh, I know this is going to end badly. The client's going to shout at me. They're not going to like me. They're not going to come to the practice. They're going to complain. It's just too much stress. So I'm going to make an easier recommendation, which doesn't cost as much. And, and, and so that's the path of least resistance you can end up going down if you let yourself, if you let the storytelling that clients are always going to say no, all clients are, are you know, they're tight wads, they don't want to spend money. Uh, if you let that story win, then that's the, the level of medicine you're going to practice at. And let me guarantee you, that that will lead to dissatisfaction because you'll never be working at the level you you think, you believe, you know you should be working at. So how do you do it differently? How do you diffuse that little bit of rogue code if indeed you have that in your head? And so I have a couple of things. And, and, and again, I'm just going to share what worked for me and my pathway in my career. Uh, so when I was a, a student, um, I took jobs in sales. I took jobs in retail. Um, I took jobs like real jobs working in real businesses. So I started to learn that money wasn't a bad thing. It was just an, it's just normal part of life. Um, so I would work on, as a sales assistant in a little retail shop and I would be selling things to people. Um, I would, um, you know, I would, I would be working on the reception desk at the veterinary hospital. So I would be getting comfortable with exchanging money and asking for money for services with people. Um, so it's, I don't think it's something that anyone that I was ever 
completely naturally 100% okay with. Although that said, I did used to fix other kids' skateboards in the village where I grew up uh, and exchange that for money or, or that for, for sweeties or candy. Um, so, you know, there was always a little bit more of an entrepreneurial streak in me. And if you are that, then you, you have to have some comfort level with, with money. But, but it was still an uncomfortable conversation. It was still a conversation where I felt like, you know, I have to sometimes force myself to have it. So it's just a matter of practice. And, and what you start to learn is that when you hold the ground and you ask for a certain amount of money and you don't blink, you don't feel uncomfortable with it, uh, and they don't say no, that actually the story you tell yourself about conflict isn't true. Uh, and so you start to build a different story in your own head. You know, I've spoken in previous podcasts ab about the storytelling and how big an impact the stories we tell ourselves can have on our behaviors and therefore our outcomes. And this is just another classic example. So let me share with you uh, my technique, if you will, for how I communicate with clients such that money is rarely an issue. Uh, and so here's, here's the thing. I assume the client came into my exam room to have a problem solved, otherwise they wouldn't have been there. So they start with, with uh, an awareness of a problem and they, they start with an intent to want to get it solved. I also start knowing that it is not my job to judge how much money these people have, regardless how they look, how they talk, how they smell, anything. I'm just going to do my job and get this animal the best thing that this, you know, the best route to well, being well again that I can possibly plot out, that's what I'm going to make my recommendation on the basis of. So that's the start point. That's the thought process going on in my head. Now, there are certain things that you must do, and if you do them well, money becomes a non-event in a lot of cases. So the first thing is you have to make sure the client is acutely aware of what the problem is and what the consequence for inaction of leaving that problem is actually is okay so what is the problem the problem is say dental disease so you show them the, the, the pus in the mouth the wobbly teeth the bleeding gums you talk to them about what that's causing so the consequences the consequences there's pain there's inflammation there's bacteria spilling into your pet's bloodstream it's going to shorten its life and it's going to significantly reduce the quality of its life okay so that's how, that's why i focus on their awareness of the problem and the consequences of doing nothing the next thing I want to focus on is building their belief, their trust in me. So it's no like trust, okay? So do they know me? Do they like me? Do they trust me? Um, and I do that using rapport building techniques. So I smile, I shake their hand, I know their pets or their family's name. I take time to ask them questions about them before I start working on their pet. I treat their pet with compassion. Um, I, I listen carefully to their concerns. I ask them more questions. I repeat back so they are completely aware that I understand what's going on in their head. Even if what's going on in their head isn't what's going on with their pet and what their pet really needs, they still need to understand and feel listened to because that's building a really strong empathy bridge to the client. Um, I am going to act with confidence like I own this exam room and I own veterinary medicine, right? That is so important in terms of building their belief and trust that you are... You want to get to the point where you are or the team is the only people in their head that are going to be fixing their pet's problem, okay? So how, do you, how else do you do that? You be knowledgeable about your subject uh, and you speak confidently, okay? So when somebody says, um, you know, does my dog really need this? Then I say, listen, I've heard that a million times 
and I do about a thousand dentals every year and every single time pet owners have that question and almost every single time when they come back for the recheck they've answered that question themselves because they see the difference in the before and after they see the extra energy the, the life force the vitality um, the joy that their pet has and they can compare that to five years ago was the last time they often saw their pets behaving playing certain games uh, running around quite as freely having that energy in their day and and so I will share that story with the clients to say look it's a great question that's why we call it the silent killer but this is my experience over doing thousand dentals a year every year for the last 15 years this is the outcome now if you share stories about your experience like that that is extremely powerful at building their belief in you and their trust in you as being the right person so now we've got a powerful combination we've got their awareness of the problem and the consequences of doing nothing, their belief in you as being the rock star to fix it, now we've got to flip over to the other side because up against those two forces are things that are overt and things that are covert. The overt thing is the price. So if it's going to be $1,000 worth of work or 2000 or 10000 then that's the bigger the number, the harder it is to get them over the line. Um, and so... The, that, that's one thing. I'm not going to focus on that because you can't change the price unless you're willing to change your treatment plan. Um, uh, so the only other thing that you can focus on are the covert, the unspoken things. And these are the client's deepest fears. The client's deep fears, you have to unearth them and answer those. Those are question marks in their brain. They're blockers to action. So if you answer them, what, what things might they be? Well, let's keep on the dental. What is a client's deepest fear about dental disease? And I'll tell you, three top things are going to be their pet's going to die under anesthetic because um, you're going to have to anesthetize it to fix the problems. Their pet is going to starve to death because it can no longer eat food when you take six teeth out. And that you might be gouging them and you might not be telling them the truth. Um, and actually, does it really cost a thousand or two thousand dollars to do a dental? So they're their fears. Uh, death, number one, <laughs> slow death through starvation, number two. Uh, and is this actually legit, number three? So you answer those. Now you answer the legit query by doing the first two things well. If they are really aware of the problem and have big trust in you, the legit thing's off the table. You answer the other two by sharing further stories. So I understand your concern about anesthesia. Let me tell you, like I can't tell you it's zero risk. This is exactly what I say. Like I can't tell you anesthesia is zero risk. What I can tell you is that I've been doing hundreds if not thousands of anesthetics a year over the last 20 years of my career and I have yet to lose an animal under anesthetic. Now that's true in my case. Um, I never have. That's partially luck, partially you know, following procedure and process and, and being good at what I do also. Um, but you, if, you, if you can't say that, that's okay. You can still say, look, it's not zero risk and there are risks, but we do uh, thousands of anesthetics every year and Almost every animal without any other sign of problems comes through those anesthetics absolutely fine. Here are the things we do to minimize those risks. And you know, you know your numbers. You can be saying, look, the anesthesia risk for a dog is 0.05% mortality rate. The mortality rate in cats is 0.1%. Uh, okay. Um, thank you, Sheila Robertson, for those stats, by the way. Uh, name check. If you've not listened to Sheila's blunt dissection episode, do so. It's an absolute cracker. Um, the, uh, so, so you've got your facts, okay? And that's how we answer the anesthesia problem. 
okay, by being confident, having our facts or numbers ready to hand. Now, is my pet going to be able to eat again? Bam. Okay, listen, let me tell you how many adult ad, teeth an adult dog has. They start with 42. We're taking six out. There are many, many teeth left. But let me tell you about the ones we're taking out. They're sore. Your pet's not eating there in any case right now. If we look in the mouth, you saw there was lots of tartar and pus on this side, and it's quite clean on that side because all the chewing is happening here and none of it's happening there. Your pet's not going to miss those teeth. What they're going to get back is a comfortable, pain-free mouth, uh, and that will make a huge difference. So I hope that answered your question. Okay, I just dismantled that fear, and in doing that, I further build their belief in me as being the rock star that's the best person to fix their animal's teeth. If you do those things, and they can afford the treatment, that's a big if. You can't control that bit, but if they can afford the treatment, one way or another, then they will. Uh, and cost becomes, to my mind, a non-event. Cost is mostly an issue for vets who create this monster in their own head. It's completely unnecessary. I hope you've gotten like a little process you can follow there in the exam room that's useful to you. Um, so let me know what you think. Comments as always, either underneath in the blog or in the YouTube comments. Um, or you can hit me up on Instagram or uh, Facebook. It's uh, any of those sites. It's at Dr. Dave Nicol, D-R-D-A-V-E-N-I-C-O-L. So for now, that is it. Um, keep sending your questions in. You've got great questions, guys. We love to get them. And we will answer them right here on uh, Freewheeling. Why do I always, always, almost forget the name of my own goddamn podcast? <laughs> Idiot. All right, you have a great weekend. Be safe, be well, be happy. Take care. Thank you for listening to that episode of Freewheeling. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, leave me a rating or review on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. Now, if you want to have your question answered, hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. It's at Dr. Dave Nicol. That's D-R-D-A-V-E-N-I-C-O-L. I'll see you in the next episode.